I'm Captain Christy Giuseppe from WhatCopsWatch.com. You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Scams are one of the most dangerous threats today, especially when it comes to our elders. As the number of victims and money taken continues to skyrocket, realize that there is hope. ScammerCast is your frontline battlefield for getting educated on the most recent scams, but also how to defend against them. Join us as we detail the processes, the traps, and the solutions to help us all hammer the scammer. Hammer the scammers. It's time for the ScammerCast. Here are your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Maines. Hi, this is Curtis Bailey, elder law attorney and your co-host here on ScammerCast.com. And this is Art Maines, the author of Scammed, Three Steps to Help Your Elder Parents and Yourself. We are delighted to have with us today Officer Melissa Doss, the Public Information Officer for the St. Peter's, Missouri Police Department. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for having me. We are so delighted that you're here because you're the cops, so you're here and we're putting the information out there about the scammers. Yes, and I'm very happy to be here. This is something I'm very passionate about. I do lots of talks in our community about. Yeah, you know, we've been on the same stage together, haven't we? A few times. Yeah, which is great. I love that. That's super. Uh, Melissa, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your story? I've been a police officer for 12 years. I spent five years in St. Louis County, and I came to St. Peter's about seven years ago. And I've been a community relations officer for about six years. And primarily what I do is I go around the community talking about crime prevention. I'm doing neighborhood watch meetings, going to churches, going to different types of groups, talking about all sorts of crime prevention. And, And the one that I enjoy talking about the most is the senior scams because it affects our community so greatly. So it's something I am very passionate about. Any group that's willing to have me, I will go there. I do sometimes go outside of our jurisdiction to talk to groups because even if they have meet outside of our jurisdiction, they may live in St. Peter's or it may affect our community as well. Melissa, I always find it fascinating to ask how people decided to become whatever they are. Yeah. So what led you to become a police officer? I've always known since the time I remember being in third grade, I always knew I wanted to be a police officer because it looked like fun to me. And then also I've always been the type of person where I don't like to get bored. And I figured, wow, this would be a job where you're not going to get bored very easily. And I do like to help people. And then once I got into police work, I always thought I wanted to be a detective or something really cool, a canine right. officer. But once I got into police work, I realized I was really good with people. I really enjoyed talking to people, hearing their stories, going to calls and trying to calm down situations. I really didn't like to get into any crazy things. So once I realized that, I realized that there were uh, neighborhood policing programs where that's what you did. You went into communities and you talked to people and you built bonds and allies within the community and, and found ways to get them to support our department, get them involved. So right, that's right. something that's, that's really cool. Yeah. It's very cool. And I imagine in the environment uh, today, it's uh, somewhat of a tense relationship sometimes. You know, what we see in the popular news media, you know, it's almost portrayed as the cops versus the public. And that's not what it's about, right? No. And from what we've seen that what the media is portraying is really a small group of people. I think more people have come out to police departments, at least in our area. Our officers get stopped multiple times a day from our residents just saying, thank you. I hope you know that that we support you and we love our police officers. And I've been hearing that also in the St. Louis County area. So I think that it's just a small group of people that the media is paying attention to that most people are 
supportive of their police departments in general. Right. That's so good to hear that there's so much support for, for all of you because that's a hard job you guys have. Yeah. And you know what? It's important for us to see as well. I mean, it's important for our officers to see that type of support and to get those thank yous. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So how often are you actually doing something to interact with the public? Is it on a daily basis, a weekly basis? I do it in all different ways. So um, winter time is my slowest time because nobody really wants to get out of the house and do <laughs> yeah, anything. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, spring, summer, fall, I'm out there a few times a week doing Neighborhood Watch, Citizen Police Academy, going to these church groups, moms groups, things like that. And then when I'm not out there, then I'm communicating with them through email or Twitter. Um, I have a large email database where when a new scam comes out, I'll send out emails to the community and they, they in turn forward those on to other people to get information out there about new scams and, and well, crime that are that's going on. Well, that's, that's fantastic. So vital. Yeah, that's yeah. just great yeah. stuff. Yeah, and we will definitely post links to uh, your Twitter uh, account and, and uh, how people can interact with you via email on our yeah. website at scammercast.com so that we can help spread the word also. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if they don't live in St. Peter's, uh, most police departments now are on Twitter and they're putting out valuable information about their community. That's so good to know. I'll, yeah. I'll make sure that I go through and add you to my Twitter feed and Great, all of that thank stuff. You. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Sponsored by Midwest Trust Company. Well, Melissa, could you tell us a little bit about how Twitter and all the social media stuff has changed the way that police departments spread information, perhaps especially about scams and frauds that target elders, but also in a more general sense? Well, what it does, and, and to first start is... Um, Police departments took a little while to really get on that bandwagon of social media because it was so new. We thought it was just going to kind of go away. We weren't really it, sure. Thought it was a fad. Right? Yeah, we were. Yeah. yeah, we were worried about the legalities of things. So it took us a while to get on it. But now that we're on it, we find that that people are retweeting things and responding to us and feeling more connected. And what I like about it is, I talked earlier about how I have the email list. Well, email list, it hits only a certain demographic. Of True. people. Twitter is going to hit our younger demographic, generally speaking, yeah. pretty much from 40 down, right. generally. And that's what I really wanted because even though most of our population gets my, or most of our residents will get my emails, they're not always the ones that have the information we need. So when we're looking sure. for a suspect, it may not be the 45 year old mother of two inside of her house. It may be the 19 year old kid who's working at Subway, going through college, who says, Hey, I know that person. That makes so sense. I was really trying to hit wow. a younger demographic. I know a lot of police departments were trying that. And plus, it's a way for us to get out information immediately because most of us only check our emails once or twice a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, what I've found, uh, and I'm somewhat of a neophyte when it comes to Twitter, but uh, I've been on it for about a year now, but it's amazingly immediacy of the information yeah. and particularly if it's a criminal situation or a weather situation right. or anything like that you can get access to quality information immediately and yeah now do do you find that the residents will interact with you on twitter you know not very much we we did put on there that we don't answer via Twitter and that we gave our um, contact information just because we didn't want people to think that if they tweeted us that we were going to get back to them within the next couple minutes. It may be the next business day. Right. Sure. So we don't interact that way, but I have found people will contact us through our city email 
to ask questions or call directly, right. which is what we what we want if they have specific questions. And if you get the information out to the younger demographic, then they can often pass it on to the elders in their life. Yes. Because in my experience, and, and let me know if, if you're seeing something different, a lot of people 50 and up either aren't on Twitter, they don't understand it, or they just don't want anything to do with it. So it's harder to reach, yeah. I think, a senior population with Twitter and those sorts of things. It do you is. agree? Yes. And, you know, some of those, some of that age group, I'd say between 50 and 60, they're on Facebook. They're more Facebook savvy. Right, they're right, Between right. 40 and 60. Right. Unfortunately, we don't have Facebook. But, yeah, once you get over about 65, they want nothing to do with any of that. You may get them on email. What's the hardest is those that don't have any of that, who just right. think the computer's horrible. It has horrible things. They don't they don't know how to work it. They've got a computer in their apartment collecting dust. That's a very hard segment to communicate with. And I know with the work that I do, I really my goal is I want to hit I know this is true with you, Art, you want to hit the caretakers. Definitely. You want to get the kids of these seniors because they're the ones that are going to see the patterns of scams or the ones right, that are right. going to see the bank accounts and see their loved ones withdrawing from them, you know, and those are the hardest ones to get. And they really are. And and I've, I've had reasonable success with my email newsletter and we'll put a link to the uh, sign up page for my email newsletter on our webpage at scammercast.com. But I find that I can reach caregivers, um, both family members and also professional caregivers, elder care professionals and, and people of that sort pretty well with the email newsletter, yes. but it's harder to reach the seniors. And I've been thinking about ways to do that. You know, Curtis and I have talked about maybe an actual print newsletter that would right. go out or mm -hmm. even something like using the robocall technology for good instead of annoying people like they do with political campaigns, but sending a robocall out that would say, hey, there's a new scam in your area. Here's what it is. Just be on the lookout. Here's what you need to know. Yeah, I agree. The printed is much better. Um, it's funny because I've I have found also with my email that I get great response from the kids of these seniors, right. um, and they are in turn taking it to their parents, which is exactly what I want. But getting them to come out to one of your talks, they they just don't have time. I mean, sure. they've got families to raise, they got full time jobs, they don't have the time. So the email is perfect for them. But the senior community, you you have to almost rely on their loved ones, and not not all of them have loved ones around. That's a real problem. It is, and it kind of leads me to a follow up question for you. As Art and I have had these conversations <coughs> about how we reach the seniors, what do you find in your experience is the best way to reach a senior? Number one is probably church. I get a lot of invitations to church because they have they meet once a month. They have potluck lunches, yes. and they have speakers. Yes, um, I know you've done a few of those. I've done quite a few. You've quite those. a few. And they're great audiences. Oh, they, they really are. They love it when I show up. Oh, and they're yeah. Eager to learn. And they have great food too. And they do. Yeah, 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 yeah it's always a good bonus. lunch. <laughs> yeah. So churches are number one. They also will come out to neighborhood watch meetings. Oh, and that's And what I love about that is that I always emphasize to watch out for your neighbors. And I talk about if you have a senior neighbor who you know lives alone check on them you know oh, be that person that advice. shovels their driveway Super. checks on the, you haven't seen them in a day or two give them your phone number so if they need something because not all of them have family members around right around them so that's probably the second one and the third third way is probably through senior centers i think most communities have senior centers where seniors go and they'll play cards and they have gym equipment or they've got 
you know, cafeteria they can go eat at. My very first talk ever on this topic was for the Jewish Community Center of St. Louis. Yeah. And it was a great audience, and it it got me excited for doing more of this, which, of course, I've been doing now for the last five years or so. It's a wonderful way to reach seniors. And what you're talking about there with spreading the word to seniors goes right in line with that third R that we talk about here on the show, Curtis, which is the reach out piece where you reach out to spread the word and then a senior or whoever hears about the scam or fraud becomes a part of the solution rather than just a potential victim. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that it's the thing that I picked up in your last comment was it's about building the community. And so those neighborhood watch meetings are so important because that's really where prevention starts, Correct. don't you think? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. Because some of the, the scams that we deal with are where people actually go to their home. And we want the neighbors, and I've had neighbors before tell me that they've chased off solicitors right. um, mm, who may good, not, who good. may have been an actual solicitor or they could have been a scammer and they've chased them off because they knew, you know, my neighbor next door is 85 years old and she may fall for this. Sure. So I'm calling the police sure. to get them out of our neighborhood, which is what we want to see. Sure. Actually, uh, on the senior center um, thing, uh, where I met you the first time was at a senior center yeah. uh, for an event, right? What was right. that event? That was called the Scamboree. The Scamboree. Yeah. I love that name. Yeah, yes, I yeah. liked it too. Yeah. So tell our listeners a little bit about the Scamboree and what it in- involves. Well, and, and I want to say it was the first year they did this particular event, and they're doing another one this year, um, where they had speakers from the Attorney General's office, from Medicare. Um, they had me from the police department. Art was there. I was there. Um, to talk about his personal story and his and his book and all of the research he's done. You were there right. to talk about elder law. So they had all different sorts of speakers, and then they also had booths that could also help seniors, whether it be with you know mortgage issues, reputable businesses, right. as opposed to the ones that are going to try and contact you and you don't know if they're legitimate or not. Right. Yeah. Have you found that maybe neighboring communities or other localities are starting to do events similar to this one? You know, I can really only see speak of St. Charles County, and I can tell you that I've seen a lot of the neighboring communities okay. very involved in this stuff because, you know, O'Fallon and Wentzville and St. Charles City, they all have a large population of older adults. Right. And There's a lot going on in Illinois, too, because, Curtis, you've really helped connect me over on the Illinois side of the river, right. and there's been some wonderful events over there. So it's maybe a trend that's starting to happen is we're spreading the word through community gatherings and building community at the same time, which is great. I think yeah, I so. so. And for our listeners who are not from the St. Louis locality, St. Charles County is an adjacent county to St. Louis. We're, what, about 25 miles from downtown St. Louis. But certainly for folks in other locations, check with your local senior centers and see if they are holding events like this. And if they're not, maybe suggest that they should. Right. Or or they can contact their police department. Most larger police departments have a community relations officer who will be more than happy to come out and talk to your community about these these types of crimes and how to prevent them. I see a lot of notices like these through my Google alerts that I get on Mm -hmm. elder scams and frauds and that sort of thing. And they are happening all over the country. I mean, I've seen them coast to coast from Maine to Hawaii. And so it's happening out there, which is great. And that's what we want to support is spreading the information and effective prevention methods. Yeah, and the news has been doing a pretty good job of making sure they cover it 
you know, at least in a consistent way. I see it fairly often in the right. news, different scams. And, and I know a lot of older adults, they watch the news. Right, right. Yeah, so, yeah it's another great way to reach folks. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned a moment ago about in-person scams and that sort of thing. Right. Would you tell our listeners a little bit more about what kinds of scams you're looking at for the in-person types? Okay. Sometimes they're not scams. Sometimes they are solicitors that are very pushy. Typically, we call those sketchy solicitors. Gotcha. And they're the ones that are trying to come inside of your house to sell you the product or to demonstrate the product. And we always say, do not ever, ever, ever let anybody inside your house. For example, we have had some vacuum salespeople that go door to door and they're asking to come inside of homes. And as we know- Not a good idea. It's not a good idea at all. We have not had any issues so far with these salespeople doing things inside the homes. However, when some of our officers have stopped them, some of them have warrants out for their arrest. These are not people you want in your home. You don't know who's who's hiring, Right. who's being hired. So those are situations that I think are very scary. We've also had alarm companies um, doing the same thing, wanting to go inside of homes and see what their security's like inside their home. That's and a little scary, isn't very it? Very scary. Right. You said, if someone gets into the senior's house, it's over. That's correct. Something is going to happen. Something's yes. going to get stolen. They could be assaulted. Correct. A, a credit card fraud could happen, identity theft. So I, I just think that's such a powerful yes. quote. Yes, and 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 I still say that every time I do do a talk to to instill in them how dangerous this is, whether it's their own physical safety or it's just hey they were able to swindle their way inside your house, they've got you. They, scary. Got, yeah, it's, it's scary. absolutely scary. It sort of shows that they don't have the boundaries and, and the the conversational or communication skills to say. No, you may not come into right. my home. Right. And that's something I know you've addressed in your book is we do you do you refer to it as a gentleman's generation as well? Uh, I haven't used it okay. used that term, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, I use yeah, I use that term for the senior generation is ref, they've got a lot of great titles for them, but one of them is gentleman's generation because the generation in which they were raised, they don't slam doors in people's faces. Right. They don't say, don't ever call me again and slam the phone down. They have a hard time just ending conversations that way. There has to be a formal ending to it. And these scammers, they know that. They play on Mm -hmm. those good manners and and things like that to keep them... Sort of the exceeding politeness, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think about Bill, my stepfather with that. He was way too nice. I mean, he was raised, he was born in Arkansas and raised in Oklahoma where it was all that Midwest nice, as they refer to it now. Right. And scammers use that. They know if they can just keep them talking, they're going to wear them down. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, And and so one of the things I address with the seniors is to, well, first of all, with the phone calls, don't answer it unless you know who it is. Right. So unless you know the number, don't answer it. That's the great thing about technology now. So that one's, I think, fairly easy to do. Sure. But the door one's a little bit harder. And I just tell them, if you don't recognize who it is, don't answer the door. But you still need to pay attention because... If you're not answering the door, they may think nobody's home, and it could actually be a burglar wanting to break into a house. Wow. So, anyway, uh, I, have, I have two follow-ups, so I'll ask, okay. uh, I'll ask them separately, though. So the first question that comes to mind is, how is that message received by the seniors you talk to? They agree. They, they, as soon as I refer to them as gentlemen's generation, they're like, right, you're right. <laughs> I do have a hard time. And every once in a while, you do get that feisty senior that's like, oh, no, I have zero problem in <laughs> I will tell them to get off my property. I love that. But that's not the, that's not what I've seen to be the norm. But they do agree that that's that that's a disadvantage that they have. One of the things I've taught when I've spoken with seniors is what I call how to say no to a nice person. 
because so often the scammers are very friendly. They want to oh, yeah. be engaged with you. They want to talk to you. I mean, it's certainly what happened with Bill. They were his friends as, mm -hmm. as they were ripping him off. So it, it's amazing to me that they really don't often know how to say no to a nice person or even to a pushy person. Right. right. So so my that, that leads right into my second question. So what do you tell a senior or how do you help a senior say no to a nice person? Are there any tips that you can give them? Do you role play? Yeah, I, I tell people that it's probably not best to be confrontational, especially if you're not comfortable with that. But just to politely say, you know, can I just get your information? My son and daughter always review this stuff. So I, I'll get your information. And if we're interested, I'll call you. That's great. And, and I said a reputable business that's soliciting is more than happy to write down their phone number and they have a nice flyer and they'll hand it to you and say thank you so much and they'll walk away. Sure. The ones that you have to be concerned about are the ones that are saying, well, if you if you purchase now, I can give you 50% off and they're trying to be pushy. You have to see these red flags and Hooking just say- with a deal. Yeah, and just say, I can't right now. Or, or you can say, I've got stuff cooking on the stove. Can you come back later? So that way, at least you get them- right off of your porch for that moment right. and you know they're coming back later so you can either call the police when they show up because they're soliciting or you can just not answer the door you know maybe a really basic question number one do solicitors have to register what are the laws in regards to door-to-door -door solicitation and you know, when i go to neighborhood watch meetings that's the number one question are solicitors allowed to be in our neighborhood most jurisdiction including st peter's you have to have a solicitor's license I don't know of a city or a county that doesn't require that. There may be some, but at least in the St. Louis, St. Charles area, I have not seen that. Right. So you have to go to the city hall. And at our city, you have to tell them what your business is. You have to give the identity of the solicitors. We do criminal background checks on them. And then they get a license. And each solicitor has to have a license on display. So you can either see it or when you request it, they'll show you. Uh, most solicitors don't do that right. because it's too long of a process and they don't want to bother with it. I assume there's a fee involved as well. There may be a fee, but right. I don't think it's it's that enough much. to right. to dissuade people. So yeah, most jurisdiction you have to have a solicitor's license. So I always tell people if a solicitor comes to your door, especially if they're pushy or they make you feel uncomfortable, call us. We want to know if they are in your neighborhood because either A, they're with a company that's well known, but are constantly soliciting in our area without a license and they're going to get a summons for it or b there's somebody out there scamming right. some of our biggest scammers are those magazine salespeople. oh those are awful <laughs> and people they fall for it because their solicitors are younger adults who give what i call sob stories that's precisely it i yeah. had one come to my door years ago it was a very nice looking clean cut young man oh i'm working my way through college mm -hmm. i'm a freshman and I'm selling these magazine subscriptions, and it's a way that I'm earning money and all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was a great story that would appeal to somebody who wants to help. But it was a big scam. It is. And, and I, I want to say it's like a pyramid scam. Some of our officers said they've when they've arrested some of these individuals that they think that they're being scammed themselves. They're being told of all these great things that are going to happen if they sell so many magazines oh, wow. and it just never happens. I have just, heard that. And when a we, vicious circle. Yeah, yeah. And, and anytime we pull them over, they're in a van load, and there's six, seven, eight of them in there, and all of them have out-of-state IDs. They're from all over the country. Wow. None of them from the state, but all over the country. So it's kind of creepy, isn't it? it? It really is. And yeah. you you end up not getting the magazine 
that you've requested, or you end up being charged, instead of for one magazine, you get charged for six. Right. That's right. one of the things I talk to seniors about all the time is those magazine subscription scams. I worked with a gentleman in my consultation role with scam victims, and uh, he was getting billed over $700 a month for magazines that he didn't even want. Now, this was, a, I think, a 76-year-old white gentleman, and he was, for example, getting the magazine Vibe, which yes, is for right. rap and hip-hop music. I read that in your book. Oh, I remember yeah. seeing yeah, right. that, yes. Yeah, that was really, it was an interesting scam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, M Melissa, I know uh, many people have posted no solicitors Correct. or no solicitation. Do those work? Yes, they do. They do. For the most part, those work. We actually, through our city, you can get them at our city hall for free. Oh, great. Where it just says no soliciting and it references our city ordinance. Every once in a while, you'll have somebody who will still knock on the door. Right. Because either they don't see it or they just don't care that it's there. But for the most part, it, it works. Well, it's a simple, that's good to know. simple tip, right? That's yeah. That's great. Yeah. Melissa, we were talking about the uh, gentleman's generation and yes. you know, the exceeding politeness of the older generation. Are there a list of things that you can offer, that anyone can offer to the elder to just get that person off of the stoop? Well, I actually think Art has a list of, of ways that you can politely say uh, no or... I, I do. I do, actually. It's a part of that, how do you say no to a nice person or a forceful, pushy person? And what I talk about with seniors is you want to balance firm and polite. The firm is so that you keep the solicitor in this case off of your property but the polite is so that you feel like you're still a nice person even in the face of someone who's kind of sketchy so i have a handout that we'll make available at scammercast.com of 10 phrases that a senior can use to get rid of a solicitor that's on their doorstep whether they're a scammer or just someone who's maybe a little sketchy these are ways that we can overcome that fear or reluctance to tell a lie or even just sort of get rid of the person because it can feel rude at times. And, and there's really and truly nothing rude about setting a boundary, which is just saying, no, I'm not interested. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think the uh, I'm not interested and if you don't leave, I'm calling the police would be about the best line that right. somebody could say. You know, I like the fact that you yeah. say that they should be firm because that's something when I talk about personal safety, I always talk about showing that confidence because criminals look for those that are not paying attention and those that look like they're not confident in themselves or their surroundings. So you can be five foot one and 100 pounds soaking wet, but if you walk around with confidence and you're aware of your surroundings, and you have no problem standing up for yourself, you generally aren't going to get messed with right. by a random criminal. Good reminder. Yeah. Melissa, besides these in-person scams, what are some of the hot scams you're seeing currently affecting seniors? Well, there's there's two specifically that I can think of. One is still the in-person one. It was the ruse burglaries. And those are the ones um, that I find most concerning because they are posing like a a public official of some sort, whether they're with the water company, gas company, electric company, and they're telling you, hey, we need to check the gas meters. Can you show me where yours is at? They lure the senior outside of their home because the senior is going to be helpful, of course. Right. Lure them outside of their home. Meanwhile, an accomplice is going in the front door to clean them out of cash and jewelry and, and things like that. Wow. And it only takes a couple minutes. Shocking how fast these things oh, can happen. Yes. Yeah. And and generally, the reason they target seniors is because seniors tend to keep cash inside the house. And also right. they have very nice jewelry. They have family heirlooms, things like that. They're not always looking for credit cards, but it's mostly the jewelry, cash, and medications. I was thinking medication yeah. was yeah. a big issue. Yeah. 
So they're either luring them outside their home because you're going to leave the front door unlocked because you need to get back in. You don't think about that. Or they're trying to lure you down into the basement where your breaker's at or or things like that, your water main. So those things we we have seen. And the second one we get is the grandchild in distress call, which is probably the most popular. Still a bit. And it still gets people. We probably take a report every month on somebody actually being scammed. And as a reminder, we do have a guide to the grandparent scam available through our site at scammercast.com. So it's available for your download if you're listening to this. Right. And before we started to record, uh, Melissa, you and I were talking about IRS and tax scams. Are those uh, hot these days? Yes. I, I can't even tell you how many reports our officers take a day, probably five to 10 a day. We're getting, and that does, that's not just affecting seniors. That's mm, hitting right, everybody. Right. Where somebody, you go to do your taxes, and you find that the taxes have already been filed in your name and social security number, and then now you have to file a police report. And from what I've heard, it it could take up to almost a year to get that fixed. It does. Um, I told a story in our last episode of our podcast, the uh, two tax tragedies. I think was the the title of that podcast about the, the the situation with my wife and her social security number was taken, and they filed an income tax return. And of course, to go through the process. It took months. It's a headache. Yeah, it took months. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll see in subsequent years if this is going to be a recurring problem. I just read a, a quote on the figures for how much they think scammers uh, have stolen from the U.S. government. I don't know if the I want Treasury. To hear this. <laughs> oh, get ready. It's, they estimated at $5 billion oh that the scammers have stolen. And that's from all of us. I mean, because right. we're the ones paying the taxes. And from everything I've seen, it doesn't appear as though that as an individual, citizen there's anything you can do to prevent that yeah yeah well that i've seen you know there's that idea that you can use with the irs where you set up a pin number right you know curtis you talked about that i think in the two terrible tax tragedies yeah so you know the response is that you can ask well they actually asked us or offered to my wife uh, the ability to use a personal identifying pen rather than names and social security numbers, which I think is helpful. But, I, you know, we'll see what the hack is to that in the future. You know, yeah. somebody's going to figure out a way to, to link up that pen number to mm-hmm. uh, right. an identity. But, yeah, it's very, it's very, I think, frustrating. And you probably can address this when you're talking to folks in the public. It's frustrating to feel that powerless. Right. Isn't it? There's no control there. Right. And, you know, it's frustrating for the officers because, you know, we get into this job to help people and to fix things and to find out who did it. And with these credit card scams and cloning cards and then now these IRS things, these people that are doing it sometimes not even in the same country. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty much what we're doing is we're taking a report for you to to have. Um, and, and sometimes the reports get forwarded to a federal agency. Sometimes it's just a report. So you're not responsible for the the bill, the credit card bill. And it's very frustrating for us because we would like to be able to resolve it. And sometimes we can't. So should a person always contact the police when they suspect or are sure that they've been the victim of a scam? Because a lot of folks feel so embarrassed. They're ashamed when they get ripped off, either in a scam or through identity theft or something like that. So what's your take on that? They should always contact us. And the sad part is, is majority of the police reports that either I've taken or I've read involving seniors it's not the seniors coming in to report it. It's their loved ones who are reporting it on behalf of the senior or bringing their senior family member in. And we've actually had the seniors say, please don't put this in the newspaper yeah. because I'm so embarrassed this happened to me. Right. Do these things ever get put in the newspaper? I mean, with the name of the victim? 
the newspaper actually is very good about not putting the name of the victim That's what in I the thought. paper. But but if they get a good if they see a good case, they'll put it in there. You know, and to me, I me personally, there have been cases that I've seen of ours in the paper, and I'm glad to see them in there because this the the scammer needs to be out there for everyone to see and to know what yeah, they're doing. Right. But as long as they keep the victim's name out of it or any identifying characteristics. Yeah, it's certain, it's yeah. that balancing of freedom of speech, First Amendment, and, and the and right privacy. of privacy, right? Right. And I agree with you. I love it when they expose the name of the scammer, but I don't really want the victim's names out there because no. there's that evidence that says that someone who gets ripped off one time right. is more at risk in the future. So that could signal to the scammers, hey, maybe this is an easy one. <laughs> yeah, and, and my advice to the seniors is we really do want them to report this. Whenever I do these talks, I always let the seniors know that they can always contact me personally through email or my office phone. If somebody calls them with this great deal and they really think it's real, to call me first. Before you send out any money, just call me and we'll walk Excellent. through it to see if it has the red flags or not and what you can do to protect yourself if it is something that may be legitimate. Because there are legitimate sweepstakes sure, out there and, sure. and things. So I give them my number because I know also they they are apprehensive to talk to their loved ones. Because as yeah. soon as they call, maybe their son or daughter to say, hey, I think I just won the lottery in Canada and they want me to send a $1,300 money order. Now maybe their son or daughter's thinking, I don't think they can be responsible for their own money anymore, which takes away another part of their independence. Yeah. So yeah. what do they do? They don't ask. They don't say anything. And that's the, the third R as well. You know, my third R uh, of scam prevention has two parts. One we've talked about, which is reach out to spread the word. The other one is reach out to check it out. And that's exactly what you're describing. And I get yeah. those calls too. When right. I give talks with seniors or caregivers, I, I give out my personal cell number. And yeah. people call me up from time to time and sure. go, Art, is this thing a scam? And if I don't know, I'll research it and let them right. know. So, and you know, essentially great. we're safe people because we're, we're not gonna tell on them. Right. We're not gonna go tell their son right. or daughter. I said, you don't even have to give me your real name. You can just call me up and say, my name's Mary, and this is the phone call I got, you know, because I, I want them to be safe. And if you're not going to talk to your family member about it, then call me. Great. Sure. Yeah. I love sure. that. We love certainly that. want to encourage our listeners, if, if they have any questions about whether a phone call or an email is a scam, to come to our website at scammercast.com and post it. You can post it anonymously, and one of us will... Check it out and respond back. Yeah, yeah just great. as soon as we can. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, I think we have to take a break at this point, uh, Melissa, but we will be right back here with more great information. We're with Melissa Doss, Public Information Officer of the St. Peter's, Missouri Police Department. We'll be right back on ScammerCast.com. It's time to take a break during this episode of the ScammerCast. Have you reviewed the other programs in our online archive? Listen to them via the complete archive at our website, scammercast.com. Help us to educate and protect our seniors. We'll be right back. Hello? Do you know who this is? Two guys talking the Matrix? Yes. It was a movie that smashed records, imaginations, and limits for gunfire inside of feature films. The Matrix, 1999, directed by the Wachowski brothers, was recently put squarely inside the crosshairs of the perspective review from Two Guys Talking. We talk about the hype, the money, the good, the bad, provide a rating, and discuss the franchise. Also, learn about all the great weapons utilized inside The Matrix from SovereignArms.com's Matt Gummersell, senior firearms instructor specializing in dynamic weapons training. 
Don't miss yet another record-breaking perspective review from Two Guys Talking. All this and more is waiting for you, as well as the decision to take the blue or the red pill. Over at twoguystalking.com forward slash matrix. It's the perspective review of 1999's The Matrix, only from Two Guys Talking. A recent study found that most older adults fear running out of money during their retirement years, even more so than their fear of death. A trust can be an effective way to manage and protect your assets while you are alive. Now, many folks believe that trusts are only for rich people. They are not. Midwest Trust Company of Missouri, located in Clayton, Missouri, offers professional trust management for clients all across the country. Using Midwest Trust is a great way to know that someone with experience and integrity will manage your wealth objectively. Naming Midwest Trust can provide you with peace of mind in knowing that you or your parents will not be exploited financially and lose all of the assets acquired during a lifetime of hard work. Midwest Trust will even work with you or your parents' own financial advisor. Don't let fear of running out of money drive your life. Contact Midwest Trust Company today by visiting the link to their website at scammercast.com. The discipline to grow, the strength of experience, the ability to adapt, values that endure. Midwest Trust. Looking for a straightforward user interface on a cost-effective feature-filled multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. The movies have taken generations, young and old, by storm. Toy Story starring Tom Hanks and a voice cast that just will not quit, are ready to be reviewed by Two Guys Talking. Be sure to join me, Mike Wilkerson, and an array of guest hosts as we review each and every one of the beloved Toy Story franchise. One, two, and the most recent three. Only from Two Guys Talking. Greetings from behind the walls of the Castle of Common Sense. When I'm not driving righteous indignation down the throats of other common peasants, I listen to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome back to ScammerCast, your headquarters for the education and prevention of scams against our elders. And we're back from break. This is Art Mains, the author of Scammed, Three Steps to Help Your Elder Parents and Yourself, and your co-host for ScammerCast. And this is Curtis Bailey, your co-host here on ScammerCast.com, and the cops are here today. Yes, they are. We are so delighted to have Officer Melissa Doss with us here. She's the Public Information Officer for the St. Peter's, Missouri Police Department. Welcome back, Melissa. Thank you very much. I'm enjoying myself. Good, good. Well, we certainly are enjoying having you with us, and you've given our listeners great information. And we hope that, that all of you out there listening to this find it really, really helpful. And so... Melissa, as, as we open up this segment of the show, is there something that you really want people to hear out there that we haven't covered yet? For example, what is it that 
seniors and caregivers are not doing to prevent scams that you wish they would? I think some of the biggest thing is, is just staying informed and keeping those open lines of communication. So between the, the children and their senior parent, paying a little bit more of attention because as kids, our lives are busy. Like I've said before, that we don't always have the time to go check on our parents to make sure that everything's okay. So what can end up happening is they could end up building a friendship with some of these scammers and end up losing a lot of money or property from their home because what they're really looking for is companionship. They're looking for a friendship because no one's around. Right. You know, very interesting. Uh, just recently on the Academy Awards show, I don't know if uh, Art, you saw it oh, or Melissa, yeah, you saw great. it, but uh, yeah, yeah. J.K. Simmons at the Oscars, the uh, Best Supporting Actor role, and oh, in his yes. acceptance speech, he said, pick up the phone and call your parents. Don't text. During the break, you mentioned to us a, a study that AARP has done yes. recently, and the, the findings were very interesting. Would you share that with our listeners? Yes, and I, and I, and I again talk about this to all my groups. Um, the AARP found that the younger the scam artist is, the more trustworthy the senior thinks that they are. That's interesting. And the more likely they are to fall for a scam. And so when I talk to these groups, I don't give them the answer. I just say, why do you think that is? And almost every single time, the first answer out of their mouth is because they remind us of our grandchildren. Right. And they shake their head almost like a light bulb went off in their head, like wow. those sneaky guys. That's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? It's sobering, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It really is. And it, and it really makes a lot of sense because the older you get, you know, the younger people, you think, well, they wouldn't do that. They're right. so nice. That's really interesting. Boy, that's a good tip for people out there is if, if it's a younger person calling, don't assume that they're more trustworthy. In fact, right. it should be a red light on your dashboard, I would say. Exactly. And, and I guess maybe that partially explains why the grandparent scam is still going strong. Absolutely. Huh? And then and then when somebody's posing as their grandchild, mm. well, that makes it even worse because as parents, you were probably very strict. But as soon as you become a grandparent, all of a sudden you become a big softy who's going to protect your grandchild against right. your mean kid who's too strict with them. So you will keep secrets. Right, right. Yeah, they really play on the relationship dynamics, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. So, Melissa, when you're out talking to groups of seniors in the churches, in the senior centers, um, I'm curious because uh, I noticed today you are not in a police uniform. Right. Do you, when you talk to groups, do you go in uniform or do you dress differently when you're out and about? It depends on the groups. Okay. Um, senior groups, I can go either way. They're very um, accepting either way. If I want to dress just in a professional business attire or right. if I want to wear a uniform, I generally wear the uniform because um, I like to put that positive representation of the uniform out there. Plus seniors love the police from everything I've seen. They're very receptive. They feel very comfortable around the police and they treat you very respectfully. And when I go to preschools all the way down to little kids, of course I wear my uniform because that may be their first interaction with the police officer. But one of the things I do show them is I always bring my phone with me with a picture of me and my daughter. So I always ask, is anybody scared of the police? And one or two might raise their hand. And I actually go over and show them a picture of me in my normal dress with my daughter and talk to them about my daughter and how she's not scared of me. And it normally kind of opens them up a little bit more to realize that I'm a real person. Because as little kids, we 
tend to forget that police are real people or that teachers are real people. <laughs> right, right. So it's a way to kind of relate to them. That's wonderful. You're yeah. really humanizing the face of the police for people. Yeah, and you know, when I first started this position, I probably went to neighborhood watch meetings more often in just um, khaki pants and a polo to build that relationship so you didn't have that uniform as a boundary for your younger and middle-aged crowd. But now when I go, I can wear my uniform and people know me pretty well. I don't mind holding their kids or giving hugs or getting down and petting their dogs and let their dogs slobber all over me. I mean, <laughs> I think they're pretty used to it now <laughs> that I can wear my uniform most places. And, and I prefer to because it gives that positive image. Yeah. And your information comes across better when people aren't on guard. Right. So that's great, especially with seniors who need to hear the information and, and be informed. Right. Yeah. If I think the audience is going to be on guard at all, then I don't wear my formal uniform. I'll wear something right. a little more casual. So that's not a barrier. Great. That's wonderful. We're with Melissa Doss, Public Information Officer with the St. Peter's, Missouri Police Department, giving us kind of the law enforcement perspective on scams and frauds. Uh, are there any other scams out there these days that you're seeing having an impact on our senior community? It's mostly the phone calls. We also see a lot of the lotteries and charity scams. The lotteries, more so the, you know, you've won the Canadian lottery. I know at one point it was the Jamaican lottery. Oh, right, yeah. All these things. And I just remind them that, first of all, you really need to take a step back and think about it. How would they have your phone number? Why would why would you be entered into a Canadian lottery? Really, on the surface, it doesn't make sense. We get those the sweepstakes. You've won something. And, and, you know, and I just remind them that if it's a legitimate lottery or sweepstakes, they're not allowed to ask for a dime from you. They're not allowed to. So if they ask you to pay courier fees or shipping and handling, co- handling costs or uh, taxes, taxes are a huge one. You need to hang up because it's not a legitimate sweepstakes. Yeah, you were telling us a story before we began recording the podcast today about something like that where you actually played an older person with a scammer who was calling saying you'd want a sweepstakes. Yeah. Fill us in about that a little bit. Well, so we had a city employee who contacted me because she'd been to some of my talks before and said that she received a phone call from a FedEx employee with a foreign accident saying that she won the lottery and um, to give him a call back because he wanted her to get some gift cards in, before he, she could receive her payment. Which is a dead giveaway for a Huge. Scam. And she knew it. But she wanted to call and let me know. And I said, you know, do you happen to have this person's phone number? She goes, yeah. He wanted me to call him back tonight. And I said, okay. So wrote down the phone number and the name he gave, um, called him, got a hold of, I'm sure it wasn't that particular person. It was just somebody else who was playing the part. And I started talking to him and pretending I was this woman. And I said, so when am I going to get my payout? And he goes, well. (laughs) I love it. He goes, well, you need to go to Walmart first and get two $500 gift cards to be able to present to our delivery drivers. I said, well, what are those for? And he said, well, it's for to prove that you're going to pay your taxes. I said, well, are you going (laughs) to take those from me? And he goes, no, 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 no. We're just going to look at them to verify you put money on them, which we know They're going to look at them, get the number on them, immediately text it to their buddy who's going to spend it before you have a chance to walk back inside your house. Probably before the interaction's over. Yeah. So I said, well, that doesn't make sense why you guys would collect the taxes. That's between me and the IRS. If I don't pay my taxes, then they'll come after me. Oh, well, no, we, we help them out. We just need to make sure that before you get it that you will pay. And I said, well, what if I want to pay for it out of my winnings? And he says... Well, we just need to see that you have the money to do that. And I said, well, you're not allowed to ask me for that. And he did actually start getting angry with me because I wasn't being 
compliant. I, yeah, I kept asking questions. Quite a bit. We're and he started yelling. You know, the number actually came out uh, back in New Jersey, which I'm sure was being routed from someplace else. But it was interesting to see because I was playing him, but I thought, man, if I was a senior and or anybody who just didn't know how these scams worked, I could see how he could use just confusion because that's what he was trying to do with me because he wasn't making sense, but it was yeah. confusion. Right, right. That's what I talk about in my, my speeches is how they use mental confusion techniques. They either talk really fast or mm-hmm. they'll use confusing, contradictory information Yes. And, and get people so stressed out that they'll finally just do what the scammers want to get yeah. them off their back. That's exactly <laughs> what was happening. Yes. So that's so cool because yeah. that's a prime example of what we mean when we say here, hammer the scammers. You were yeah. jerking him along, and I love right. it. Yeah. Right, right. Basically wasting his time. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So how did the uh, the conversation end? I ended by telling him that I was actually a police officer and that uh, what he was doing was illegal, and he ended up hanging up on me. Hey, yeah, right. Yeah. Because, right. And, and, you know, unfortunately I knew I was never going to find him, that, that even though that phone number came back to New Jersey, that was not where he was at. Right. So yeah. right. what can you do? And, and is that a source of frustration for you, Melissa, that there's really not much that law enforcement can do to shut down these crooks? It is. It is. And, and I know that federal agencies are, they are doing a good job, as well of a job as they can yeah. with the amount of scamming that's going on. Which is But huge. as local law enforcement, it's so hard because our hands, our resources are tied. They're using technology against us with, you know, you can get an app and change your phone number, what your phone right. number shows up on caller ID. So sure. you don't really don't know where they're calling from or who right. it is. And right. so, yeah, it's very frustrating. You had mentioned some uh, numbers dealing with, I think, the IRS scam that uh, is currently going around. But just overall, in general, how many times a day does the police department deal with a scam, fraud, identity theft oh, issue? Yeah, if you throw identity theft in there too, I would say at least once or twice a day at our department. And we have, St. Peter's roughly has about 50,000 residents. Hmm. So you get into bigger departments like O'Fallon, who has 80,000, 90,000 residents. They're probably dealing with a little bit more. St. Louis County is probably dealing with a ton. Yeah, that's about a million residents. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I folks. would say, yeah, for 50,000 residents, we get one or two a day. Wow, wow. Now, what about these other scams that we hear about from time to time, the sort of, it's in the imposter scam zone, it's law enforcement scams, or someone pretends to be calling from the police or the FBI or whatever. Would you say a little bit about those? Those always irritate me, I think, because it's so close to home. We get a few that um, they will say they're raising money for St. Peter's Dare program or our explorers, and they'll call people up. We never, ever, ever solicit over the phone for money. We really don't go anywhere to solicit. When we get money for Dare, it's through the schools, like doing pancake dinners and things like that. Police departments are not going to call you asking for money. We also get ones where... They'll, someone will pose as a police officer saying that um, one of their loved ones is in jail and sort that they need bond money. Sort of a take off on the grandparent scam. Right, right. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that as police officers, we're not going to call and make that financial arrangement for you. Either you're going to call them yourself and, and make that financial arrangement or you're going to sit in jail. We do not do any of that for you. Yeah. And, and then the other one, which may or may not be a real charity, it's some type of sheriff's association. And everybody, you guys are shaking your head because I'm sure you've gotten those <laughs> phone calls. Right. Those really frustrate me because I've talked to them myself. Those telemarketers are extremely pushy. I've been in law enforcement for 12 years. I have no clue what those that sheriff's association does for us. 
I've never met an officer who knows what they do. But people need to realize when you get contacted by a telemarketer for a charity, that they've hired a company to do that telemarketing. Right. So let's just say it's an, the American Heart Association. You donate $100. Well, that telemarketing company is going to get 70 or $80 of that money. At least. Yeah. 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 And the rest of it's going to go to the charity. Right. That's if you actually got a legitimate charity calling you. And that's what I talk about in presentations as well is the whole bogus charities problem. And in fact, we have a link on scammercast.com to the report from the Tampa Bay Times and the Center for Investigative Reporting on America's 50 worst charities. And they sound like legitimate charities, but because they use telemarketing companies, 80 to 90% of that money goes to the telemarketing firm and not to the charity, right. even if it is legit. Right. And there are a lot of reports from former employees who said they deliberately targeted seniors. And in fact, Curtis, you had in the last one, there was the uh, the list for people who think their luck is going to change. And right, right. It, There's actually a lists. telemarketing, Melissa, you'll find this very interesting, actually a telemarketing list titled People Over the Age of 65 with Dementia. Oh, my God. And then one, people over the age of 65 who think their luck is about to change. Oh, that's horrible. Isn't that horrible? Yes. So yeah. for those of you out there listening, if your parent might fall into one of these categories, listen and help prepare them and prevent these scams. That's right. And if uh, if you find out your parent has been contacted, please contact your local law enforcement. Absolutely. You know, uh, interestingly, on that report that we have the link uh, on our website, a substantial number of those fake charities are police officer benevolent associations right. or military uh, themed associations, particularly right. the people that you want to support, right? Right, right. And I always advise people, and, and I actually stole this from your book. Oh, great. Is the, put the quote in your book about you do the choosing. Don't Never let yourself be chosen. Yes, always, always do, do the, the choosing. choosing. And I talk about that with these charities because most of us do give to charities. And we all have our own list of a few charities that we give to. Right. And I always say, build your own contacts. So if you really want to give to the Red Cross, that's great. Contact the local Red Cross and write them a check because 100% of your donation will go to that charity. Right. Don't right. let these telemarketing companies take a portion of it. And I think that hits them more than you know, this could be a, a fraudulent charity. It could be real. It keeps yeah. them from having to decipher between the two. Right. And making them go to a local place. If you want to donate to law enforcement charity, call your local law enforcement department and ask them, what charities do you guys use? Sure. Well, we use Backstoppers or St. Right. Louis County has an association um, that helps officers who are battling cancer and things like that. They'll give you legitimate charities that you can donate yeah. to if those are, inter are interesting to you. And right. donate directly, not to a telemarketing Correct. company over the phone. Yes, the VA is a great resource as well for sure. charities, That's for military. Super information. I, I had a man contact me a couple weeks ago, and it's kind of a spin on the, the law enforcement imposter. And, and the telephone caller indicated to him that he had had jury duty. And he had missed it. I've right? heard that. Have you heard about this yes, one? Yes, yes. And of course, there's a fine involved, in, right. and the caller is here to help. You know, I'll right. just take your uh, payment information right now. Otherwise, they'll send the police to arrest you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so there's another uh, interesting oh. variation on the We've, fake law enforcement. Yeah, we had the jury person. duty one, the right. income tax. If wow. you don't pay your, oh, you know, overdue taxes, and yes. Right. There they types. go, trafficking in fear. This oh, connects with our yeah. episode, right. The Five Flags of a Scam Victim, 
fear, loneliness, anger, greed, or guilt, and sympathy. So yeah. this is totally about fear. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. You know, in your talk at the Scamboree last spring, you mentioned a scam about property liens. Yes. Have you seen any more activity on that front? You know what? The only time that we've actually seen that in law enforcement is, um, and this is to get off on another topic, but sovereign citizens, well, they're uh, a group that will put liens on police officers' homes when they feel as though we've violated their rights. It's a very bizarre group. Right. So that's the only time we've ever seen it. However, the FBI has put it on one of their list of the fastest moving white collar crime mm-hmm. out there. So they're seeing it more. I think it's more of a federal violation or they're just seeing more of it than local law enforcement. But one of the things that people can do is St. Charles County and I believe St. Louis County locally and a bunch of counties within Missouri, you can actually go to... We can post the link. I think it's Property Fraud Alert. Yes, exactly. Propertyfraudalert.com. Yes, and they'll link you up with your local courthouse. And you go on there, and all you have to do is put your name that the lien, the mortgage is under, um, your deed's under, and then an email address. So that way, if a lien gets filed against your house, you'll get an email. And when I've refinanced my house, I got an email from them within two to three weeks of filing a quick claim deed to say, hey, quick claim deed was filed under your name. If this is an error, please contact us. So that way you know, because people are filing these against property they don't own in order to show they have assets to get loans and they'll default and it's just this whole. So at least you'll be aware that somebody's filing something very early on. And I think that's such an important step for the children of an elder who perhaps is is having some impairments cognitively to keep that in mind because Mm -hmm. they could have a problem with a fraudulent home repair contractor. And then the crook... The, the crooked contractor could file a lien against that parent's property right. without their knowing it. So I understand that that is available in most jurisdictions yes. now. And I think that's another great piece of advice for Absolutely. people. Yeah, Propertyfraudalert.com. And we will post a link at scammercast.com about that. You know, it's just super simple, right? It's it's very simple, yeah. yes. But but the the benefit is is so great if yes. you will take the time to register. So Absolutely. Right. Well, Melissa, is there... A story that you can share with our listeners about a scam or fraud situation, either that you were personally involved in or that you've heard about that really made an impact on you? Yeah, we had one about five years ago at our police department. I was I did not investigate it, but I was the, the public relations officer at the time, so I did all the media work for it. And what had happened was um, an elderly woman who was in her late 80s was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. And she lived alone. She was a widowed. Her uh, her husband had died years prior. And one of the clocks that he gave her, one of her mantle clocks was broken. So she took it to a local clock shop and asked to get it repaired. And he says, yes, I can repair this for you. It's going to cost $800. I don't remember the exact figures, but it was a high amount. And so she went ahead and paid because he says, I can't do the work until you pay. So she went ahead and paid. Called them about a week later and says, is my clock finished being repaired? And he says, well, yes, but you haven't paid me yet. Oh, no. Well, she thought, I thought for sure I paid you. He goes, no, you, de- you didn't pay me. Her being the early onset of Alzheimer's, she had stated to the detectives she was very embarrassed because here she thought, right. you know, this no, was her Alzheimer's. Yeah. 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 So she wrote him another check. Some time went by and she called him again and asked if it was ready. He goes, well, yeah, it's ready to be picked up. She gets there and he goes, okay, that's going to be $800. Got her again. Oh, a third time? Third time. Wow. And she finally got her clock back. 
and he now found a new friend. He went mm. over to her, over her house, would take her to lunch, oh, um, would say, oh, I see that you've got a leaky sink. I can fix that for you. It only cost $500 to mm. fix that leak. Mm, mm, mm. Did landscaping for her. All in all, he ended up scamming her out of, I believe it was over $40,000 for family notice. Oh, my goodness. Was it family that noticed it? It was, yes. It was a daughter or daughter-in-law that noticed it and brought it to our attention. Mm. This guy had had a reputation for this type of stuff, but unfortunately, the other things that he had done had turned into civil matters, so we couldn't legally pursue them. This one we were actually able to pursue. We actually got clock experts who said that work he did was only... That was only an $80 fix. The sink that he repaired, we got a plumber to say, you know, that was only, I would have charged her $80, maybe 100 Wow. for that. And same with the landscape. And we found that he was way overcharging her. I don't know if he pled guilty or he's found guilty, but the sentencing, the, the judge said, gave him a deadline and said that you need to pay back every penny that you stole from her by this date. Or you're looking at, I want to say it was close to seven years in prison. He actually was able to come up with all of her money gave it back to her. So I always bring up that story because n- number one, it's local. I think it impacts people more when they hear a local story. This isn't something that happened in another state. Definitely. And also I always stress to them, this is so unique that she got her money back. Most yeah. people do not. Right. And then that brings me into talking about how losing that amount of money at that part of your life, you can't recoup that. Somebody who's in their thirties or forties, we can go back out and we can work. Right. We can get that money back before we retire. Yeah. But when you're in your eighties, you can't. And then that weighs on your physical health as well. And then I also talked about the fact that she's not the one that reported it. Yeah, it was yeah, her family members. Yeah, and yeah. she was really seeking companionship. And he gave her that. He gave her that friendship. There's the loneliness piece. Correct. Right. Yeah. But another, it's a powerful example of why people should report anytime they suspect something like this, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And it also brings me back to a big part of why we're doing this podcast is I don't believe that anyone should be ripped off because their brain doesn't work right because they have an illness. Right. I just think that is a particularly awful crime. Right. And that's why we want to keep getting the message out there and in part why we're so grateful to you, Melissa, for coming in today and talking about these crimes because it's a classic example of the exploitation of a senior who has a health problem. Exactly. And and it, it's it should be criminal, and I wish he had gotten the jail time, frankly. I, I, me too. Me too. But And, you know, another thing I didn't mention is um, I do a lot of training at banks, and banks are on board with this they big are. time. I, every time I they do are. training with them, I, one of the things I talk about is, what do you guys do when a senior comes in here? And they're with, trying to withdraw a large amount of money that's unusual for their activity. And they, they've got a list of protocols in place of how really? they do everything in their power to try and prevent that or educate them. Yeah, I've talked to my credit union about that, and and they're right on top of it, too. So I've got to give a lot of credit to banks and credit unions and a lot of financial institutions. Now, this is a position that I have wondered about with the sex offender list, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, once a person is on that list, they're on it, and it's public record. I personally think, and tell me what you think about this, I think there should be a list of convicted elder abusers, whether that's physical, emotional, or financial abusers and exploiters so that the public knows from here on out this person has a record of abusing the elderly financially or in whatever form what do you think about that well i'm definitely not against it the only problem that i have and i'll use the sex offender list as an example is i think sometimes people rely on those lists and i when i talk to mom groups about sex offenders um, and protecting their kids i i walk them through the fact that number one most Children that are molested don't report it. 
Sure. And if they do, they wait until they're an adult. So how many children have that is that person molested in that time that it's reported? Then it has to make it through the court process. And they actually have to get a secure conviction mm-hmm. on this person. And sure. then it has to be part of their of their sentencing. Really, you're looking at such a small percentage wow. of the actual offenders out there. And I would think the same of the elder abuse. I think it's great. But I, I often caution people that that shouldn't be your, oh, good, he's not on that list, so he's fine. Yeah. yeah. And I think Don't sometimes people do that with the sex offender. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's no sex offenders in my area. My kids are fine. Fascinating. Yeah. Not necessarily so. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Very, true. And, Very true. And just like sex offenders, it's generally not strangers doing this. Right. right. It's, Often it's a family member. It's a family member or someone who's built a friendship, built yeah. a trust. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Well, Melissa, thank you so much. Let's You're end welcome. there, and maybe we can uh, have you back in for a repeat I session would love that. sometime. Okay. Uh, we will post all the links to the uh, websites we've discussed and post articles today as well. We will post how our listeners can get in contact with you. That'd be great. With that, Art, I think that uh, this will wrap another episode. This is Curtis Bailey, your co-host on ScammerCast.com. And this is Art Mange, your co-host on ScammerCast.com. And thank you as well, Melissa. This has been a terrific episode. Thank and you thank for having you me. thank you very much for all of your information. Thank you to all of you who are listening out there. Please spread the word about ScammerCast and interact with us on our website at ScammerCast.com. Tell us your stories. Let us know what you think of the episode. And let us know how we can serve you in the future. Once again, thanks for listening. This is ScammerCast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ScammerCast, your headquarters for education and protection of our elderly from scams worldwide. Be sure to visit us at ScammerCast.com, where you can send us your stories and tips, as well as send your feedback, and visit our Facebook presence. Thank you for listening to this episode, and until next time, hammer the scammers! The information we share in this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only and should never substitute for appropriate legal, financial, or medical advice from qualified professionals. Always consult with an attorney, physician, or financial professional for the correct guidance for your particular situation.